Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Everyone, super happy to be here on this new Let's Talk AI episode today. I'm with Panos Alexopoulos. Panos, how are you doing? Hi, Thomas. Uh, I'm very I'm well, thank you. <laughs> very happy to hear that. I'm super happy to have you today on the show and, and have very specific topics that I want to discuss. First of all, for the people who might not know you, so you're a data and semantic practitioner. You're the author of the book Semantic Modeling for Data. Um, and uh, it is a book published by O'Reilly, and you're currently head of ontology at Text Kernel. So that's a very brief uh, description, but maybe you can uh, enhance my description um, with your own words. Indeed. So again, thank you very much for uh, for inviting me to this podcast and giving me the chance to address into a large, hopefully, audience uh, with respect to AI. Yeah, so the three things you said are quite uh, correct. Um, generally, uh, I've been working in the field of, uh, of ontologies, of knowledge representation and knowledge engineering since around 2005. So mm. I'm, uh, I'm, let's say, from a previous era where um, machine learning and uh, big data and data-driven approaches were not that um, successful yet. Yeah. Mainly because we didn't have, of course, the computing power back then and also the, the data needed in order to do these approaches. So I mostly followed the path of what we call now symbolic AI, mm-hmm. uh, which is about um, uh, describing uh, world knowledge and world data into a declarative way and telling machines what to do rather than try to, <laughs> to teach them uh, what to do. Um, so for the last 15 years, I've been working a lot in conjunction with, in, in, in close collaboration with academia, have participated mm-hmm. in many uh, projects that involve uh, industry academia uh, collaboration. Uh, I've done research, published some papers, also did a PhD. Uh, and for the last seven years, in, so in 2016, I joined TextKernel. TextKernel mm-hmm. company... Uh, that builds software for for recruiters. Okay. Uh, what we try to do is uh, match uh, people's profiles with jobs, job vacancies, uh, and we try to do that in an intelligent way by utilizing uh, AI techniques, among which is uh, also uh, semantic modeling and knowledge graphs that we're going to talk about today. Wow. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, so speaking about semantic modeling, knowledge graph, uh, you're the author of an O'Reilly, um, uh, published O'Reilly book. Um, what inspired you? So, so the full name to, to, the, to the people who are listening is semantic modeling for data, avoiding pitfalls and breaking dilemmas. Uh, why did you start writing this book? I think that the answer to that is in the subtitle of the book, Avoiding Pitfalls and Breaking Dilemmas. <laughs> so the story starts more or less as follows. When I joined Textkernel, um, 
my the main mission that uh, was given by my hiring manager was and by the company was to build to start building a knowledge graph uh, about skills professions and other concepts related to to the recruitment domain to the HR mm-hmm. domain and um, having already done as I said some research and worked in the field for more than 10 years I felt quite confident in that okay I could pull that through based on the knowledge of semantic technologies and knowledge presentation that I had already, along with the latest developments back then to NLP and machine learning, and of course the availability of a large amount of data that could help um, do build a knowledge graph in, in, a, in a scalable and efficient way. Hmm. Uh, as you can imagine, things didn't go as, <laughs> as always as expected. Mm-hmm. And uh, in these seven years, I've, I've learned uh, several uh, things from either not complete but you know partial failures that uh, that we had, and things that didn't w- work exactly as uh, uh, as uh, as expected, and uh, that was the main inspiration for me to write uh, to write this book. And um, it's important to how say I want to highlight the, what do I mean by pitfalls and dilemmas right here. So pitfalls are things that practices and things that we do when we develop uh, knowledge graphs uh, that uh, will most likely, 90% of the cases, lead to some problem, right? Lead to some uh, uh, suboptimal uh, result, something that uh, will not uh, will not uh, be accepted by by the users and uh, or the applications that we build the knowledge graph for. Um, and the thing is that many of these pitfalls are, are were often uh, written uh, in either books or tutorials or uh, academic papers as good practices. So one reason I wanted to um, to write this book was to highlight the fact that this adv- this piece of advice were not as as um, not as good were not as um, let's say uh, safe as. Uh, as the, as the, as one thought uh, they would be, and this is not an accusation on those who wrote them, right? Uh, because these things are um, you realize and you find these pitfalls only when you f- you do a lot of practice and in different contexts. So it can be that in some cases this advice worked, but in some other cases it didn't work. So mm-hmm. the challenges um, about generalizability of of, of advice. The second thing is dilemmas. So um, something that I also realized was that almost every day when I want to work and I planned, okay, what to do next, uh, I kept coming across questions that I wasn't really able to answer because mm-hmm. there were not so much there were not so much answers about how to do things, uh, but um, what is best to do in a given situation, and um, often I didn't really have the the knowledge that I needed in order to, to, to take this decision. Hmm. Uh, so I had to look for that. Um, because also, the, for this, and I call them dilemmas because there was not a correct answer. There's never a correct answer in this way to that. So, for example, if you build a knowledge graph and you decide to uh, focus more on the precision, on the accuracy of hmm. the knowledge rather than the coverage, it's, it's a respectable choice, right? Because usually there's a trade off between these two. Um, but to what extent 
you should you should follow that approach. It's something that the market will tell you, the business will tell you, the product manager will tell you, the user will will tell you. So you mm-hmm. really need to have a way to to tackle these dilemmas. So what I tried in this book, apart from the pitfalls, was to give some guidance to practitioners or of knowledge graph semantic models on how to seek the information uh, they need in order to resolve these dilemmas, in order to break them. Mm-hmm. So I would say these were my, the main two inspirations for my for my book. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, all right. So I think my, my my next question and what I would like to ask you about is. Uh, um, maybe kind of related to the first one but uh um all right so right now we've we've heard a lot about nlp and uh more than ever when when we can hear about large language models um so there are uh in artificial intelligence intelligence sorry and in machine learning there are so many so many fields and subfields for example llms are just uh, Uh, a subcategory of um, of deep learning um, and um, so what is uh, what are the benefits uh, i guess my question is what are the benefits of focusing on data modeling and knowledge graphs and uh, maybe if you can share like some some real world experience yes that's a great question and it's a very it's a co- it's a question that i common uh, very often uh, receive I think we need to go a bit back on the on, on the fundamentals, right? When we were taught in in university um, about uh, about AI in general and about machine learning. So, if we think about it, machine learning is uh, an approach that says that tries to create computer systems, right? Programs that mm-hmm. improve automatically through experience, right? Yeah. So. Um, These are programs, right? This is an approach where you assume you know nothing. You get data, you get uh, input from from sensors, from whatever, and you try to uh, automatically understand the world. Symbolic AI, on the other hand, um, a knowledge presentation, uh, tries to explicitly represent what we have in our heads as humans in a declarative form. So we try to to declare facts and rules about how the world operates, right? So mm-hmm. when we say that, um, I don't know, Panos is a human, right? That's, that's, that's a fact. And when we say that uh, all humans are mortal, that's also a fact that can be used to infer also that Panos is, uh, is mortal, right? Uh, and Simolke started like that. Um, obviously, As we see now, it was never enough in order to really build intelligence systems. And the main reason was that it doesn't scale, right? Mm -hmm. One hand doesn't scale. uh, And also many aspects of what we have in our heads, we don't even know how to express them. Mm. So what LLMs and what machine learning tries to do is find patterns that we may not completely understand. That's why mm-hmm. we also have this big black box problem with, with uh, recent AI, but nevertheless seem to seem, I say, to understand us. I'm not saying it's, it's understanding, I'm not, but they seem, they give us the, um, the illusion that these systems learn and, and understand. So in practice, 
machine learning is about induction. It's about a way of thinking that starts with uh, an observation and then trying to understand from the observations, trying to get to a theory. Whereas symbolic AI, uh, knowledge presentation, and of course, knowledge graphs is about deduction. Mm-hmm. It's about starting from a theory that we know it's true, or at least we have, we're very confident that it's true. And then by observing the, the, the world, we can make deductions and, and inferences. Uh, and in the question is, which one is better? It's, I think it's the wrong question, right? So machine learning has scale, right? You can, um, uh, you can if you have enough data and enough computing power, you can compute uh, many things. But it also has noise, right? It also has noise and it has little transparency. It's very hard to understand what's going on uh, underneath. On the other hand, symbolic AI is much slower, but it's more transparent and allows also human influence in the machine. Um, so, for instance, if you have a knowledge graph and one of your users say, you know, this fact is wrong, you can easily go and fix it. If the same fact is generated by a machine learning model, you might not be able to fix it immediately you, because first you have to understand why it has been generated. It's not so explicit. Mm-hmm. So, for now, at least, I don't know what will happen in, in, in 10 years, we need these two approaches to work together, right? This, we shouldn't treat them as uh, op- opponents. We should treat them as collaborators. We build knowledge graphs in order to facilitate better machine learning, and we also use machine learning to, to, to build better knowledge graphs, mm. right? And this is what uh, I think many, many organizations currently do, including uh, TechScanner. Hmm. Super interesting. Would you have uh, an example of uh, of a knowledge graph, uh, like um, real world example, and maybe how machine learning can enhance this knowledge graph? Okay. Right. So uh, again, I will start with generally, and, and I will give some examples. Um, so the primary function of a knowledge graph is to connect and contextualize data in a way that makes the meaning of this data more explicit and shareable. Uh-huh. Given this, one common application in many, in many companies, many organizations of knowledge graph is to use them as a way to semantically degrade heterogeneous data. Yeah. Uh, and then run data science or data analytics on top of this data. Mm-hmm. And why is that better than... And why, and why, why do they do that? Why do we do that? Because by connecting data, we give them, we improve their quality, uh, and we give them uh, more, uh, more meaning, and we're able to have better accuracy. A, a, a very, a very simple example with from 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 the recruitment uh, from the recruitment domain. Let's say that we want to count uh, how many. Uh, truck driver jobs have been created in the last six months in the US. All right. Right. In order to do that, we uh, we, we need to count how many job vacancies uh, have been published about uh, truck drivers. Mm-hmm. The thing is that the, the titles in the job vacancy may call a truck driver in many different ways. They may call them truck driver, if they're from the UK, they may call him a lorry driver. You know, there is a lot of um, there is a lot of variety in which the same thing can be said. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, 
not necessarily about truck driver, but vice versa, you can have ambiguity. You can have uh, things that mean that have the same manifestation in in language and in in, in text and in, and in the data, but ultimately mean something very different, right? So that means that if you are just based on on keywords, if you're just based on very on, on raw data without having them integrated in a semantic way and without practically analyzing entities and rather than strings. I think this was the uh, Google's um, slogan back in 2012 when they introduced their knowledge graph. And they were saying, you know, things, not strings, right? Mm, so yes. knowledge graph and semantic modeling allows us to operate uh, to operate on the entity level, on the concept level, rather than on uh, the string and term level. And that okay. already uh, gives um, an advantage or, uh, in analytic applications, in the analytic applications. And okay. this is something that currently uh, many organizations do, but two, two domains where this is very, is quite, uh, how to say, it's quite common nowadays is uh, healthcare and pharmaceutical domain. We have large pharmaceutical domains that use this approach in order to uh, do drug discovery and various other uh, applications on top of uh, biomedical data. Uh, and also another domain is finance, financial service, financial organizations like Bloomberg, for example, mm-hmm. um, who again uh, put data together and then they are able to do things like fraud detection, to understand critical events, to try to do prediction, to try to see the volatility of the market, things like that. Uh, and I already gave you an example about the, the recruitment domain, like for example, understanding the labor market, etc. So mm-hmm. you can take practically any domain where you you do analytics and you do data science and you want to do that better. By doing semantic modeling, you are improving the input to your data science applications. You are uh, improving a lot. Um, how to say the starting point of what yeah. you do. Uh-huh. Right. It's also the the, the famous uh, again. I don't know if it's famous. I think it's famous. Uh, famous slogan: uh, "Garbage, uh, garbage in, garbage out." You want to avoid that, and yes. by doing semantic modeling is one way to avoid that. Okay, very interesting. Um, and I would assume I would assume that now with LMs, it is uh, combining combining not strings but entities with just large language models there are a lot of uh, things to play around with what do you mean um <laughs> I you mean, yeah yeah i mean um so if i understand correctly um, you have this graph uh you, you have like you're able to create these entities like not strings you're able to create yes. entities let's say um, the labor labels, like you mentioned, um, how could that mix with uh, NLP and with uh, maybe training large language models or other NLP techniques? Um, I, I think what I'm trying to ask is like, how does uh, graph models relate to NLP? And uh, if like, um, yeah, if like it can be very useful for LLMs. Right. Uh, I'm not, I don't have much expertise on that yet, at least on... Um, but what happens is that um, 
many applications related to NLP are about entities, right? So yeah. let's take the very basic, let's take an LLM. If you, and let's say that you ask it, you ask now LLM, give me the biography of Thomas Bustos, okay. right? Um, how the, the LLM will try to give you an answer, but does it really know how many Thomas Bustos are out there? How it can discriminate between them, right? And um, yeah, if, if there are more than one, how can we, um, how can we tell it which one to choose, right? How do we give it context? Right. Some, um couple of months ago, I posted that on LinkedIn as well. I I asked uh, I asked um, GPT GPT three back then. I think okay, um, give me tell me the give me a bio for Panos Alexopoulos, and it wrote me a bio where it made me CEO of the company I work for, <laughs> and invented many other things that were not really true, mm. right? So. The thing is with with LLMs that they don't have grounding in real world knowledge. It's right. Mm. It's, it's they try to they get what is in is in the data. Um, so we really have to be careful with LLMs when we ask them about factual knowledge. Right. That also may change as time passes by. Right. Mm. Because mm. let's say that if uh, an LLM that is trained on, on data learn some facts about the world and then, um, for example, the professions of some people and then these people change profession the next day or change mm -hmm. the company, how will the system ever learn about this? Hmm. Right? All right. All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's um, many things that uh, used to be done almost exclusively by, you know, symbolic AI and uh, knowledge graphs can now be done much more, much easier with, with an LLM. So for instance, if you want to do question answering on top of a knowledge graph, yes. question answering uh, was notoriously difficult in the sense that you had to take a natural language question, transform it into a, uh, into a structured query, and then uh, run it against a knowledge graph. The right. translation part, from the from the natural language question to the query was and is one of the most difficult one very difficult things because you don't have uh, a lot of context and yeah. this I think is where uh, LLM is one of the applications where can, they can be very useful. Huh. That's very interesting. I think when I when I think about um, model model graphs, I'm thinking about Wikipedia uh, sure. and uh, and like how they maintain information and try to be uh, as neutral as possible and as accurate through time as possible. Uh, I feel like uh, it has some similar values to what we can do when we're talking about model graphs. Uh, could that be a, a correct um, association kind of, or, or would you say not really? Can you, sorry, I didn't, I didn't exactly understand the question. I was saying when I'm thinking about Wikipedia, yeah, um, I feel like Wikipedia can can really be um, a great um, 
great way of a model graph. Uh, could you compare Wikipedia and making a, a, a graph model from Wikipedia? There is, there is a graph model of Wikipedia. It's called DBpedia, mm. actually. Huh. Well, well, in practice, uh, DBpedia is a subset of Wikipedia in the sense that it's a, it's a knowledge graph that is built by extracting information in an automatic way from uh, Wikipedia info boxes. Okay. So they don't analyze the whole article, okay. but they get information from uh, info boxes, which are semi-structured, and uh, they populate that information using also mm. an ontology. Um, yeah, and it has it has pros and cons to the, what, what they do, and uh, its quality is also depending on what you look. So, for instance, the Wikipedia has a big problem with respect to abstract entities. By abstract entities, I mean entities that are mostly that are not that do not have a concrete manifestation, right? So, okay. people, locations, uh, buildings are concrete entities. Um, how to say fields of study, you know, scientific uh, facts. These things are abstract entities. So, mm. for instance, if you go to the BBA right now and you say, okay, can you tell me in which class does machine learning belong? I don't know now, but I have an example of that in my book. At least a couple of years ago, it was a disease. <laughs> okay. So it didn't have a way to classify machine learning to say what type, what type it is. For okay. Instance. Whereas, for example, it could identify that, um, I don't know, Roger Moore was a, is a, um, an actor or a, hmm. or a person. Yeah. Hmm. I see. Um All right, you mentioned challenges, uh, like the pros and cons, the challenges and opportunities. May I ask you about the specific challenges and opportunities about uh, when building a, a knowledge graph? When building a knowledge graph, yeah. Um, I think I mentioned that um, the main challenge is scale, right? Okay. You know, um, when we started... Um, When I started ontology modeling um, around 20 years ago, the typical examples we would see were, would be small, uh, small ontologies. You know, we'd, we would open one editor, define I don't know 10, 20 classes, 10, 20 concepts, some couple of relations, and, and, and that was it. Okay. When we go from you know a few concepts to thousands or millions of concepts and, and interrelations, um, keeping quality. Uh, steady, if not imp <laughs> getting improved, is a challenge. And scaling can be in two ways. One is uh, in two dimensions. One is to increase the size and coverage mm -hmm. of domains. So, for example, you have a knowledge graph about, I don't know, sports, and then you want to expand it also with politics and with, uh, I don't know, um, fashion and art. That's one thing. And the other is the Uh, the perspectives and viewpoints and the uh, context where you use it. So okay. you might be building a knowledge graph to be used only in a, in a small community for one application only or for the whole world. Okay. One, uh, that's very challenging because uh, the difficulty in scaling uh, semantics, in scaling a knowledge graph is Uh, ensuring that a fact that in a given scope is correct, is considered as accurate, is also uh, accepted as accurate in the broader scope. Hmm. Right? So, 
Um, we see that a lot in uh, in the HR and recruitment domain with skills with skills and occupations. For instance, we have um, occupations professions right in a, in a country uh, that when we translate it in another in another language and to be used in another country, this profession does not exist, or it has a different composition, a different interpretation. Hmm. Which means that these are not equivalent anymore. We believe they're equivalent because we translate them based on the common language, but really in terms of content, they're not really the same. Mm. Or when you try to, for example, again, model a profession, let's say data scientist, mm -hmm. that, and you try to think, okay, what are the skills of a data scientist? If you start by modeling this, I don't know, in the financial domain, there are skills that perhaps in the biomedical domain are not... Uh, necessarily uh, the equally essential, equally important. Of course, yeah. there are some core things, but there are changes across domains that, uh, across domains and across context that you may have not thought about. Mm. So as you scale, as you try to scale this, you are always constantly trying to see if you have, if you are really, uh, if your quality remains the same. Okay. So that's, uh, that's, I think, one that, that's the main challenge. And in conjunction with the fact, in, in combination with the fact that the real world is messy, right? Yeah. There is ambiguity, there is a set variety, there is vagueness, there is uncertainty. <laughs> All that mix makes, uh, makes it quite challenging. Hmm. I see. And I will make a, a very basic questions, but um, I haven't been the opportunity to work much with knowledge crafts. So... So uh, I would really like to ask you about some pitfalls, some dilemmas, and you mentioned some, some of them right now. Uh, but uh, maybe can you briefly explain to me and to the audience like a typical approach of building a knowledge graph? Like what are kind of the main steps that you would go for when building a knowledge graph? Yeah, sure. So... It's the main steps are not so much different than any, you know, software engineering also problem in a sense, right? Uh -huh. You start yeah. with what you want to build, some kind of specification, right? Uh, what kind of knowledge, what kind of data you want to connect if you're connecting data, what kind of knowledge you want to model. Uh, and then it's important to follow up with, as I, as I like to call it, to give a shape to the graph, right? Okay. To practically build a schema. There are technologies out there and there are approaches that say, you know, just put the data and connect them. But really, a schema is important. You can mm. call it an ontology. I call it a schema in general. It's, it's practically a, data, a knowledge structure that, that in a semantic model on itself, the schema, that tells us what the knowledge graph will contain, yeah. right? It mm. might just contain a couple of classes, uh, some relations, but we want to understand what entities are, are we going to have and how are they going to be connected? Right. And this can already be a challenge because uh, we really need to think through what uh, to define this, uh, th th these models in a rigorous way and in a, in a commonly accepted way. After we have the shape, we need to give it substance. We need to, to populate it. We need to give it data, right? Yeah. Which means that we need to take to identify the, the resources from which we're going to populate it. These sources can be uh, people, okay. domain experts, right? Um, which of course I said don't scale, but they can also be other knowledge graphs, other databases, 
semi-structured data, uh, and text many times, right? So just pure uh, text, articles. And the way we do the population, there are several techniques there, right? Uh, there are techniques from machine learning, from NLP, like entity extraction, entity linking, entity relationship extraction, uh, with different levels of, of maturity and of... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, different levels of maturity and effectiveness, right? Okay. For example, in general, uh, given the state of the art, it's the, the relation extraction task is more difficult than the entity extraction task. It's easier to find entities than to find particular relations, like synonyms, for example. Right. Uh, then, when we be, when we do the population, we need a way to know that it's good. So we need to have a quality framework mm-hmm. to identify what dimensions are important. And how to and measure them in a way, right? So if you, if you tell me you have a knowledge graph, I will ask you, okay, can you tell me what is the accuracy of the graph? What is the completeness? What is the understandability by the users? There are several dimensions that we don't have enough time to, to cover all of them here. Uh, and then another stage, which again is very important, and it's, it can be a pitfall if you don't do it, is to make it useful, right? To put it to put it in people's hands or, right. or in applications' hand to, to 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 do something with that because usually on its own it doesn't provide much value, right? Right. Um, the application can be things as I said, like question answering. It can be semantic search. It can be recommendation systems. It can be as part of a bigger machine learning system that does something. It can be mm-hmm. anything, right? Yeah. Uh, and the final step is to make it last. Okay. You build it. You build the first version. Right. Depending on the domain and the kind of on the, on the kind of knowledge it has, it may be quickly obsolete. So you need to make sure that it keeps being relevant and keeps having uh, content. Mm-hmm. Now, with respect to this life cycle at, at a high level, there are several pitfalls. One big pitfall at a very high level is not having a strategy on how to build it. Right, and by strategy I mean what and why. What do you want to build, right? I mean, if you just tell me, you know, I just want a knowledge graph because it's cool, or I just want a knowledge graph about I don't know biology, this doesn't say a lot. It's a bad strategy. But if you say, you know, I want to build a knowledge graph about this particular domain in order to um, to power this particular application, for example, a recommendation system or a search engine, mm-hmm. that that's already a good start. Mm. Uh, strategy is also about dilemmas and choices that I mentioned earlier, right? So it should be part of a strategy how, what kind of, for example, quality criteria you want it to have. Do you want to compete with the knowledge graph in terms of accuracy? You want to build it, uh, you know, to to focus more on getting a lot of coverage and a lot of completeness rather than uh, than uh, accuracy, because these choices will affect a lot. How you're going to develop it? Right. If you want high accuracy, you most likely need people in the loop, humans in the loop, which means also human cost, right? Cost in terms of uh, that, that will affect the cost. If you don't care so much about that, you can probably utilize very easily uh, existing machine learning systems and NLP and quickly give you something, right? Mm. But um, and that's why you you see. So I, I see sometimes articles that say, you know, build a knowledge graph in, in a week or so. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, what I like to say is that you can build a knowledge graph very fast and very easy, 
but it's not necessarily the knowledge graph that you need, that you want. Mm. Uh, and another pitfall that comes to mind again, giving the steps is building it very times just to build it without considering the application in mind. Right? I'm not saying that you should always tie it to an application, you know, and always do what the application wants, because sometimes the application will make you uh, will make you do shortcut, take shortcuts that are um, that reduce the semantic interoperability and general and general generality of, of your knowledge graph, but still you have to take it into consideration. Right. All right, I see. While um, uh, when we speak about um, semantic modeling, um, I have vector database that comes in mind. Um, and I, I was wondering um, if knowledge graphs could uh, be combined with uh, vector database. Uh, could you tell maybe give me some perspective uh... on this? Okay, I'm not very um, how to say, knowledgeable about vector database in particular, but if I understand correctly, you are talking about embeddings in general, right? Yeah, I mean, like the the, the idea of uh, having vectors in databases and being able to uh, to yeah exactly use for example embeddings, and um, I would assume that um, knowledge graphs can be enhanced by embeddings, but maybe let's say. Yeah. Okay. Can like knowledge graph? Can you tell me more about this? Right. So if we think about if we think of embeddings, right? Uh, when the first embedding model started with word to vec what we were doing was uh, mapping uh, terms and words, right, into vectors, right. vectors of, of, of embeddings. In general, such a representation is works operates at the subsymbolic level, right? Because this is just numbers. If I show you a vector. You have no idea what that is, correct? Mm -hmm. Knowledge graphs and semantic models operate in the symbolic level, right? That means that uh, any relation between two two words should be explicit, should be should just have an, a, a name. So, Panos works at text kernel. That's that's uh, that's a symbolic representation. Now, right. if you have the embedding of Panos. Assuming that you, you also have the identity of Panos Alexopoulos, and you have the, the and you have the embedding of uh, text kernel, and maybe you can take the joint embedding of both in a way, what you still miss is the relation between the two. Maybe you can infer it by also taking the embedding of <laughs> the works at <laughs> relation. So, yeah, it's it's not the same, right? Uh, definitely. You, Embeddings can be used as a way to uh, infer, not to infer, to mine knowledge. So, for instance, if you want to build a synonym classifier to tell you if two entities are the same, uh, it's very likely that by taking the two terms that you want to find if they are synonyms and take their embeddings and compare them, hopefully they will have a high similarity and that can might give you an indication that they are synonyms. But it's not uh, it's not certain. It's not All guaranteed, right. right? So it's it's two different things. Okay, okay. Thank you for for your answer. Um, 
you, you mentioned something very interesting before you mentioned use cases about semantic modeling. Uh, and let's say I'm in, I'm in my company and I want to go to management because I have a great application of a semantic model. Uh, maybe I have a, maybe I have a proof of concept, uh, and I have a great application, like, like you explained well, like I have this because I want to do that. And so I will work on this, uh, semantic modeling for the specific goals. How do you convince management to invest in semantic modeling? <laughs> yes, that's a great question as well, because I, I, I get it a lot for, from people that uh, try to, to do semantic initiatives within their organizations. So, um, yeah, um, this comes a bit to the beginning that we, disc we were discussing about what is the benefit of a knowledge graph? So the thing is that the benefit of semantic models, so ontologies, taxonomies, right, and knowledge graph, is is not immediate. It's not something that you know. You, it's plug and play. You see it. It's not as fancy as an LLM that immediately you say you see ah that's that's very interesting what it does. Um, in order to um, to to get support, right. Uh, as in many things in, in business and in organizations, right? You need to identify a pain point first, right? Something that you see that it's that something that um, the way it's currently done, of course, data related, right? Is not optimal or, and makes, creates problems, creates inefficiencies. Uh, and uh, is something that, you know, your, your manager can understand. You can feel the pain, mm -hmm. right? Starting with that, right? So for instance, you might have a dashboard, an analytics dashboard that you realize that nobody uses. And when you ask them, you ask your users why you don't use a dashboard, it's, they say because the output is not correct, right? We see many semantic errors here. Mm -hmm. That's already something that uh, can give you an idea of what to, you know, what to operate. So, the first thing is to pick a use case that is a known pain point and as if possible to be uh, an important pain point so as to take um, priority. The second thing is to make sure that the pain is caused by problematic data semantics, right? So it shouldn't be just a bug in the code or some engineering, something that it's a method just of engineering. And usually semantic problems uh, have to do with uh, heterogeneous data, data that have been merged together when they shouldn't with things that have their own identity with uh, and that when you analyze them, they give you totally wrong, uh, very wrong uh, insights. So insights that really are not there, predictions that do not prove, that, that do not become true in the end, things like that. Hmm. When you identify that, then you, and you think that, you know, this pain point can be addressed by creating a small knowledge graph and ontology, etc. You need to pick a metric that you can improve by uh, applying a semantic model, right? Because you need to show uh, cause and effect, right? You need to start saying, okay, this is the situation now. We can make a small pilot where I built, I don't know, a small ontology. We apply it in this way and look, we have already have an improvement uh, with that aspect that uh, we care about. Hmm. And when doing that, it's also very important to focus on the data semantics, not the technology around them. Because I, I, get, I get the question, okay, should I use 
RDF should they use OWL? Should they use uh, what kind of technology should they use? Uh, and usually, when you try to in a POC to introduce a very new framework to engineers and to product managers, especially if it's costly, they will they will react. They will say no. Why? So uh, the focus, I think, there the focus should be on, on on the data. You can use very easily whatever your organization uses already. Is it a, a relational database? That's fine. For the POC, it's enough because what you are uh, what you are evangelizing, what you are advocating when you come to semantic technology, it's more than it's more than the technology itself. It's more the mentality of thinking beyond a single database, but rather uh, thinking with respect to connecting data, mm-hmm. right? And you can connect data again for a P, at the POC level very easily with just simple formats that every all engineers know. JSON, XML, even uh, things like that. You don't have to necessarily go and do some and train all your or all, all your team in in RDF and OWL, for instance, or Neo4j or things like that. Hmm. Uh, and finally, it's don't build something too complex, right? Again, yeah, you need a POC, right? You if you start because the cost can really, you know, <laughs> increase. Uh, yeah, you need to show value as a promise of value as, as soon as possible. All right. Um, all right. And when, when you approach, so I assume that, um, I mean, there is a big um, academical part, like mm, about semantic modeling, building knowledge graphs. How do you bridge the gap between academy and industry? Uh, when, for example, you're doing speakings or you're doing training engagements, how do you break? Uh, how do you break this barrier? <laughs> That's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, as I said in the beginning, uh, yeah, I've started. I have worked a lot with uh, with academia as part of my PhD, uh, but I was always in the in the fringe between academia and, and industry. Uh, and it all starts with realizing that uh, there are different goals, there are different priorities and metrics by which you know success success is is measured, right? Academia, of course, does uh, state of the art research, does frontline research, right? They need to um, find new ways to do things. They need also almost always, you know, so uh, state of the art, you know, in a, com- in a comparative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, they lack uh, actual users, you know, <laughs> and and scenarios. You know, when I was also doing my PhD, most of my scenarios were not not fiction, but rather you know trying to think how uh, it would look, or doing you know experiments with a few people, with five people that were also quite biased because they were either 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 ontology modelers or or users. Mm. Um, um, on uh, on the other hand, I- I- interested practitioners need uh, may not be uh, always up to date with what are the latest um, uh, developments in, uh, in 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 academia and academic papers. Also, the language that an academic paper uses, or the I don't know the representations, the the formulas that they use, may not be as accessible. And that makes it difficult. So what I do is 
practically the following. When I prepare, when I, I write a book like the one I wrote or when I prepare a course for practitioners, right? I'm trying to translate the language of academia where possible into uh, concepts that uh, are more common in, in an industry jargon, right? Uh, trying as much as possible not to simplify too much, right? Mm. Uh, and that's mm, the main thing I do currently. I have, for the last years, I have stopped doing so much academic publication. My publication, my, my writings are more about the practitioner side. <clears throat> but I try to transfer as many concepts as possible from, from academia. Vice versa, when I'm in an academic setting, what I'm trying to do is communicate the challenges that we face as industry in order mm -hmm. to uh, somehow, uh, how to say, uh, try to steer, you know, the focus on of research also in, 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 in topics that may not seem as interesting now in, in, in an academic setting, but that we're still struggling in the real world, right? So mm. I've seen many times um, topics that uh, for which papers were written like 15 years ago, nobody writes papers on these on these topics anymore, but they are nowhere to be solved yet, right? When mm. you try to apply them in, uh, in an industry setting, like for example, ontology mapping or even relation extraction, these are not solved problems yet, right? Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, industry uh, academia for funding purposes also has to adapt in you know what is uh, <laughs> what is currently funded and not so yeah it's it's not it's it's not an easy task uh, I don't succeed always have many failures but yeah it's something mm. I like doing well that's a that's a very interesting field uh, I feel that uh, um, I don't have much visibilities as uh, if I was if I were to discuss uh, data engineering or data architecture, uh, but uh, but um, nevertheless, I would say it's a fascinating and uh, as to uh, some specific questions, maybe some wrong questions, but I feel like this is no, all there are about, no wrong uh, questions. There are never wrong questions. <laughs> exactly, and and um, and by by doing these questions, I have the intention to maybe say something that's wrong so that I can learn the truth. Uh, and, uh, and you've done a great job, um, sharing and explaining me. Um, I think I would have, um, maybe regarded the, the industry out of curiosity, how do you see knowledge graph semantic modeling growing, um, through the upcoming years? Whew, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'm not. I don't know if it's going to grow. So I was actually like I was looking uh, at Gartner's. You know, I don't know if you are aware of the hype cycle. And currently, knowledge graphs are put, uh, I think, under the trough of disillusionment and go towards plateau of productivity. Um, from my experience, because I said I've been working on in this area for almost twenty years now, right. um, there is, you know, how to say. The underlying principles and the underlying need for making data and meaning clear it will always be there. Now, the way we express this and technologies might change, then there's always a rebranding of things. So, mm -hmm. knowledge graphs now, you know, everybody talks about knowledge graphs, but 
they are not really that different than what were uh, semantic networks back in the 80s and 90s or linked data. There are differences with respect to technologies, with respect to capabilities of how they can be used, but they are not really that different, right? Uh, and I think to to the extent that the purely machine learning approaches, the LLMs and uh, the other approaches do not manage yet to provide, not necessarily intelligence, which is, we go back to AI, but in practical considerations, if they're not able to do yet uh, to provide safe, uh, transparent, and uh, yeah, unexplainable to some extent uh, yeah. applications, um, data modeling will be needed. And also remember that all this AI that we have now, like let's say the LLMs, are da- really data hungry. And uh, doing semantic modeling is a way to, uh, not to ensure, but to work on the quality of this data. Because if you start, if you, you cannot just trust the AI, at least yet, to, to have its own, how to say, to control the quality of its own data that it uses, right? right? It's a vicious circle. So you have to make it a virtuous uh, cycle and that stuff. Right. Right. Maybe it will play a huge role uh, regarding data observability when we arrive to a point where companies are very well powered by data and therefore being able to like do more advanced data analytics will need to have uh, this um, this uh, knowledge graph, for example, or uh, semantic models uh, underneath uh, each department of the company, uh, maybe. <laughs> how how does this sound? Yeah, sure. Uh, I like to to consider and to define. So there is a difference between. So we talk about LLMs, for example, and. Um, yeah, and LLMs and machine learning in general versus knowledge graphs. So, a knowledge graph is an is an artifact. First of all, it's not really a system. That's one thing, mm-hmm. and it's a means of communication. It's something that we build in order to communicate. Two applications to communicate to each other, right? An organization to communicate to to, to bridge the semantic uh, the semantic gap. Mm. So the knowledge graph itself is not an application. This is really important. You have to consider it as a component that, again, for the short term, for for the immediate future, I think uh, is important. Whatever forms it might take, right? Maybe we start calling it the knowledge graph. Maybe we start making something hybrid. So, for example, having the knowledge graph as it is now with combination, you know, with a vector database, as you mentioned, with embedding, so adding some some symbolic stuff, mm-hmm. adding some probabilities, adding some... Actually, there were probabilistic knowledge graphs back then for, for a while. So, yeah. Okay. I would say that... I mean, I'm not much of a philosopher, but uh, in all these years that I have been working, uh, I, I really haven't seen a, a massive uh, paradigm shift in... In, in what's happening still in uh, in the in the data in the data world, we have a lot of data. Yes, we have better tools, but the struggles are the same. Right. 
Interesting. Um, I will uh, I will for sure do more research uh, on on all these topics that we um, we discussed, and uh, it have really uh, um, improved my interest for for knowledge graphs for for semantic modeling. I have two last questions. Uh, but before those two questions, I want to thank you, Panos, for your time, for coming on the show, for, for sharing your expertise uh, and, what you're, and what you're doing. Uh, it is very, very interesting. Um, two, my two last questions are, uh, first of all, for the people who are listening, where can they learn more about you? When, Where can they yeah, learn more about you and, and what you're doing? The best way is to find me through LinkedIn, if they have one, right? Also, there is my website, uh, panosalexopoulos.com, where uh, they can find also, they can download a sample of my book as well and, uh, and find more, more information. Uh, and there's also a contact form. So, uh, apart from that, I generally... Um, uh, I generally give, uh, try to give talks and trainings uh, also through O'Reilly Platform, who's my publisher for the book, uh, but also in some industry conferences. And usually I use LinkedIn as the main uh, channel where I make these, uh, make these announcements. Awesome. Last question. Would you have a message for the latest OKI community? It can be something that you shared in the episode, a specific, uh, for example, um, uh, knowledge graphs are artifacts. They are not <laughs> this is something that no, yeah, uh, no, I don't. Have a yeah, I have a message. I mean, message. I think uh, it's not so much about knowledge graphs per se, right? In, in, in because knowledge graph is just a, a small part of the whole AI thing, and uh, I think also due, given the developments with uh, the large language models and uh, the whole AI, the whole discussion about AI and whether it's conscious and whether it's safe and whether there is a risk uh, I think the message is um, all of us that work in developing AI systems and put AI votes in the sense that practical AI right mm -hmm. uh, let's make sure that what we build is uh, is safe right? Mm. It's useful and safe. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Panos, and I wish you to have a wonderful day. Thank you, Thomas. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.